Well, thanks ever so much for inviting me here today. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a thrill to be here because we remember the prayers about Fernwood all those years ago. And then we had the good news that you were, you were setting up a church plant here. But today, to give glory to God here with you is just a thrill. And to hear what God is doing here in this place of Fernwood, what a perfect setting. This is the nicest church I've ever been in. Wow, the shops, you know. Well, I really pray that the Lord will use your presence here to further the gospel and bring many souls to faith and glory. Um, Chris did ask if I'd say a little bit about myself. You know, you go to a church for the first time and they say, who are you, where are you from? Uh, well, my name is Jonathan. My wife, Elizabeth, is, is with me at the back. Um, I'm from Lincoln, and I was the pastor of Lincoln Evangelical Church. I say I was because I actually retired in May. So what does a retired pastor actually do? Well, the first thing we did was to have a few days away. We had four days away with the family just to, just to relax and enjoy. You know, hey, you know, this is great. You don't have to go back to work, you know. And we got home, and the first email I opened uh, was giving us notice from our landlord to quit. So we're actually homeless. Um, so we don't know where the Lord is moving us on to. Uh, do pray for us that the Lord would take us to the place where he wants us. Just because you, you end that kind of formal part of your working life, uh, we never stop serving the Lord, and that goes on to our dying day. So do pray for wherever the Lord moves us on to next. What does a, a retired pastor do secondly? Well, it seems to me that he, f he fills in for other pastors who go on holiday. <laughs> this is the fifth church I'm covering for this summer. So again, pray for this. It's, it's great to, to, to visit churches like yourself, meet Lord's people. Um, this particular retired pastor, do pray for this. I've been asked to uh, be a volunteer chaplain in Lincoln Prison. So uh, I'm still going through clearance for that. I do pray I'd get that final clearance, but I prayed, paid two visits to Lincoln Prison. I, I kind of want to say, has anybody ever been to prison? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you have. You know, God's a, we're all guilty before God. But um, Lincoln Prison, yeah, if you've never visited, um, it's uh, quite scary. Category B, high offenders, serious offenders. Victorian, very narrow, very confined. I felt quite disturbed after my first visit to see men locked up, to see the exercise yard with, you know, 20 foot high fences and razor wire and then buildings all around it. You know, there is no freedom there. The only freedom they can find is freedom in Christ. So do pray for the gospel as I get They've got a good chaplaincy team, but they wanted an independent evangelical chaplain in there, which is great. Um, on my second visit, the, one of the chaplains said, have you ever done Christianity Explored? I said, yeah, many times. They said, would you introduce it to the prison? Hey, 620 men. Wow, pray they'll all come. Yeah. Well, let's pray they would find freedom and forgiveness, real forgiveness in Christ. Only Christ can truly forgive. And we are, we are as guilty as them. I don't go in there saying I'm better than them. I'm as guilty as them before God. So do pray for, for first of all, I would get the final clearance. You know, it's not a, an easy thing going into a category B. It's all clearance with uh, 
Ministry of Justice, you know, I actually thought they might keep me in after they read my CV, you know, of my past, but thankfully they haven't. But let's pray that God would use that time and bring many sons to glory. Let's just pray before we come before his word. Father, just pause and thank you for the great things you've done in our life, Lord. Well, once we were guilty, Lord, we were under the condemnation of our sin, Lord. But you, Lord, spoke that word and we found freedom and life and joy in Christ. And Lord, we pray that for these prisoners. We pray that many people on this estate would find that same freedom and joy in Christ. And we pray now as we turn to your word, Lord, speak to us, Lord. Open up our hearts and our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. Amen. Okay, Psalm 2, if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone or an iPad, let's open up God's Word. Let me ask you, what's the, the greatest invitation you've ever, ever received? You know, have you ever been invited to a celebrity wedding or to the Queen's Garden party maybe or backstage to to concert to meet the stars? Well, Maybe you've had none of those, but it's nice, isn't it? Just to be invited by somebody to, to go for a coffee or round to their house. This morning, I want us to look at the greatest invitation anyone could ever receive. One we have all been given. In Psalm 2, verse 12, God invites all people everywhere to come to his son and kiss the son and be blessed by him. And God sent out this invitation. And guess what? You know, we're all invited. We're all included. But the question is, have we responded? Have you accepted the invitation to come to God's Son and come into a relationship with him? See, this is not a take it or leave it invite. The consequences of refusing this invitation are huge. If you just look at the rest of verse 12, you know, we say, kiss the son, that's nice. Hey, lest he be angry and you'll be destroyed in your way. This is a serious state of affairs. So what does it mean to kiss the son? Now, usually we only kiss people we know very well and that we're on good terms with. You know, Christians greet one another with a holy kiss or lots of hugging and kissing as I came in today. Lovely to see that. Um, but then there's that kind of intimate kiss, isn't there, which you only give to those you love. And when you see a couple kissing each other, it tells you that they're in a close, deep, serious relationship. Because the kiss says it all. So what is God asking us to do here? Well, God is asking us to enter into a deep, serious, loving relationship with him. But to reject that offer means that we will face the consequences. Just imagine for a moment you're invited to somebody's wedding. The invitation says, dear Dawn and Doreen, we'd love you to come to the wedding of our son. But if you don't come, we'll be deeply offended. I mean, we never hear that. Well, that's what God's saying here. I'll be deeply offended if you don't accept the invitation. Worse, I'll be angry. Worse, if you don't come, you'll be destroyed. You're going to lose life. All of a sudden, this invitation takes on a whole new meaning. This isn't a take it or leave it invitation. This is a must-do invitation. 
My life, your life, your eternity hangs on whether or not you accept it this morning. So it's RSVP before it's too late. So let's look a bit more closely at this invitation. And I want us to see four things. Who the invitation is from. Who the invitation is to. Why the invitation contains a warning. And finally, the benefits and the blessings of accepting this invitation. Well, firstly, who's the invitation from? I don't know about you, but every time I open junk mail, there's tons of junk, isn't it, really? Invitations, you know. You've been chosen. I've been, well, they don't know me. You've been chosen to receive £10,000. Well, who's that from? Who's chosen me? I don't know these people. Another one I saw. This is just this week's. Katie Smith. Never heard of her. Katie Smith invites you uh, to come to a, a concert. Then there was one from Mrs. Sarah C. Roberts. Never heard of her. Telling me it's obvious that you've not received your fund of seven and a half million dollars yet. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. I haven't even got anywhere to live. <laughs> Send $400 before August the 20th, or it'll be too late. Guys, who's sending out this stuff? Is it genuine? Would you trust it? Very sadly, people do respond to these kind of invitations in innocence or thinking they, they really you know, have got a relationship with these people and they end up sadly losing out and being ripped off. But what about this invitation here in verse 12? Who's it from? Can we trust the person who's sending it? Is it genuine? More important, will he deliver what he's promising? Well, actually, the answer to who's sending it is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 24. It tells us there that God spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, the writer of the psalm, saying, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, etc. The one who wrote the psalm, the one who's sending out the invitation, is God himself by his spirit, breathed out. And God is reaching out to sinful, rebellious people like you and me, then and now, through his own spirit to come and be saved. Actually, Psalm 2 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. It's quoted 16 times by men like Luke and Peter and Paul. If they trust the psalm and the invite, and they've proved it to be true, well, surely we can. But the invitation is not to come to a party. It's not to get a good deal on a holiday. It's to come into a real living relationship with a real person, the anointed one. There in verse 2. Now that word uh, is the Messiah in the Hebrew and it's Christ in the Greek, the anointed one. And God invites you to come to his Messiah, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to get right with him and enter into a real deep loving relationship with him. Friends, he's not going to renege on the offer you know he's not going to default or back out he has promised us in numbers 23 19 that god is not human it says that he should lie 
nor is he a man that he should change his mind. Does he not speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Yes, he does. You can trust the one who's inviting you. So secondly, let's see who's the invitation is to. You know, if you've ever had to plan a, a party or maybe a wedding, there's always a problem in deciding who's coming, but who isn't. That's the real problem, isn't it? You know, no problem inviting your friends and your family, those you're close to, those you love. You know, I like Jack and Joan, I've known them. They're good fun, of course I'll invite them. But the problem comes when your mother says, don't forget, Aunt Sophie and Uncle Jack, who? Aunt Sophie and Uncle Jack, we've not seen them for years. Do I have to? Do you ever had that experience? And you say, well, okay, we'll squeeze them in. Uh, then your mum says, but what about that old school friend, Dougie? Dougie, you say, you must be joking. He bullied me all the way through sixth form. He's written terrible things about me on Facebook. No way I'm inviting him. No, you, you don't invite your enemies to your wedding, do you? God does. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told a parable. Chapter 14, verse 6, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, could have been a wedding, and inviting many guests, and he sent his servants out to tell those who'd been invited, Come! Everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Well, I've brought a field. I've brought five yoke of oxen. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the street and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, six Paul gives a list of those who had accepted the invitation in the church in Corinth. He lists them sexually immoral, idolatrous, adulterous, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers. And then he adds, that is what some of you were. Is that what some of you were before you accepted the invitation? In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, enemies. Christ died for us. So who is David inviting in Psalm 22? Who is God inviting? Well, look at verse 12. He says, the nations of the world. Sorry, verse 1. The nations of the world, the kings of the earth, the rulers, those who band together against the Lord and against his anointed, against Jesus saying, let us break their chains. Notice that it says all those. It doesn't say some. All are invited to come to Christ. Those who have rejected him, those who refused him, now, I don't know if David had a particular king or ruler in mind when he wrote this, but today we've no problem knowing who the nations and the rulers are that band together against the Lord's anointed one. They're the athe atheistic leaders of our country, you know, scientific humanists, 
the godless pleasure workers, the media barons who've rejected God's laws and God's rules by saying, we will not have this man rule over us. People who reject every attempt to control what is on the internet in the name of liberty, and we wonder why society is in such a mess. Atheistic teachers, university lecturers, who are forming the thinking of the next generation. Writers and filmmakers who entertain us like Philip Pullman, Christopher Hitchens, Stephen Hawkins, Richard Dawkins. They are all rejecting God's rule and trying to make society in their own image. Then, of course, there's the liberal theologians and church leaders who rejected God's word altogether. These are the kings and the rulers of the earth, and they're plotting together, as David says in verse 4, saying, let us break the chains, let, let chains, let's throw off all their fetters. Let's ban the Bible, as they want to do in Scotland and have done in other countries. Let's stop people praying. But as Woody Allen, another leader and ruler of great influence, once said, more than at any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroad. Woo, it sounds good. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness, the other to total, total extinction. He's right. If you don't accept the invitation. And David asks, why? Look how the psalm begins. First word, why? Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Now, David doesn't expect a reply when he asks why, because there really is no reply. This is an expression of utter astonishment. Why, after all that the Lord has done for us, for the nations, all the benefits he's given us, this beautiful earth, all that he's provided for us, Acts 14 says, He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Why have we still rejected him? And so having turned their backs on God, the people say, we will not have this man rule over us. And then we wonder why things are going so wrong in our world today. What a mess we have made of ruling the planet and ruling society. Just look at the crime. Why are the prisons full in an age of undreamed prosperity? Why is self-harm so common? Why are so many turning to drugs and alcohol to numb the pain? Excuse me, when they can have anything. Why so many suicides? Why? That is the cry of the masses, but it's also the sob of the lonely. Why? In the age of communication, when we can speak to one another with a press of a button from anywhere, when we can get from A to B in minutes, is loneliness now seen as epidemic in our country? And we, with David, look at what the world leaders, the politicians, the industrialists have done to our planet, and we let out the same cry of astonishment. What a mess. Just look at Afghanistan. 
What a mess. Greta Thunberg was right. The world is on fire. And when it's not on fire, it's drowning in rain. People are disillusioned. They don't like the world. They don't have the, like how the kings and the rulers have made them and they're rebelling. And they're turning their attention to the stars. They're setting their hope on finding a better world out there beyond Mars. Some new Jerusalem beyond the Milky Way. Friends, rejecting God means rejecting the best that is and settling for less. But God hasn't rejected us. That's the amazing question, the amazing thing. And Psalm 2 begs another question. Why hasn't God rejected us? Why doesn't he just sweep us off the face of the planet? He did it once in Genesis. Why doesn't he do it again now? Well, one day he will. Hebrews 1 verse 12 says, The day is coming when the heavens will perish. They will all wear out like a garment. And you, God, will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. So why doesn't he do it now? And have done with it. Well, the answer's in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and he loves the people of this world, enemies and all, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And in Exodus 34, God described himself as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's why I chose that hymn. Here is love, vast as the ocean. Our God is a God of grace, unparalleled grace. And Christians often say we're living in an age of grace where God is withholding his judgment so people can be saved. You know, the term day of grace is also used as a legal term. In old English law, you were given three days of grace to pay a bill. How long has God given us so far? You know, it's been 3,000 years since David wrote Psalm 2. But friends, don't think you've got forever. Don't put off this decision. God may return tomorrow, even today. So this is an urgent invitation. If you hear his voice speaking, inviting you, you must come to him today. That is God's greatest desire, isn't it? For his enemies and rebels and lawbreakers to come and be saved. He says in 1 Timothy, he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of his truth. As I said, I'm working in Lincoln Prison. Very serious type of prison. But you know what the biggest difference between me and the prisoners is? At the end of the day, I can walk out and go free. They have to stay locked up. You see, before God, we're all the same. We're all guilty. We've all broken his law, and we all stand in need of forgiveness and grace. We don't deserve it. Can't earn it. But boy, do we need it. But just think what that grace cost. 
the Father to send his anointed one to be your saviour. What does the hymn say, Son of God, slain for us? What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Let's think lastly that Psalm 2 contains a great warning as well as a great encouragement. You know, all invitations have a reply date, don't they? RSVP, by whatever. And God sent out his invitation to all people, regardless of whether they're enemies or friends. So you can never blame him for not inviting you. But the question is, have you responded? Have you replied to the invitation? Well, you might be rather indifferent to it. You might not care. You might say, well, I'm not bothered. So what? Well, just in case you're thinking that, God reminds us of two things. Two things. Firstly, he reminds us of, of just who is in charge of this world. Not the kings, not the rulers, not the politicians or the industrialists. Verse 4 tells us it's him, the one enthroned in heaven. God is in charge of this world. And to those who think they are actually in charge, David says in verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Now, we don't often read of God laughing, do we? But he laughs here. He dismisses these pretenders to the throne who set themselves up as kings and rulers. And David said, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And it's to his king we must bow the knee. And then he says in verse 10, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be wise, Boris Johnson. Be wise, President Biden and Mr. Putin. Be wise, all you rulers of Eastern Europe and Afghanistan. Be wise, everyone with any influence or authority. Writers, TV makers, politicians. Be wise generals, be wise teachers, be wise parents. Don't dismiss the one who reigns from heaven. Don't say science says, or evolution says, or the experts say, because God has said, I have installed my king on Zion. Be wise, says David. The second thing he reminds us of, is of what God can do to us if we don't accept the invitation. That lovely verse says, kiss his son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. Don't, don't mess with God. Fear him with a holy and reverent fear because he can destroy us. You know, one of the wisest men who ever lived was the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. He was on the face of it, no one special. He was just an old retired soldier and he lived in fear of his boss. And when he messed up, he thought there was nothing else to do but take his own life. But when he realized the grace of God towards him, he cried out, what must I do to be saved? Answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Kiss the sun. He's the only safe place from the wrath of God. Everywhere outside of his care is dangerous. His anger is kindled in a moment. 
but his kisses and affection will last for eternity. But not only is this a very great warning, it's also a very great encouragement. Look at the last line. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Could almost turn back to Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed. You will never know blessings like this outside of God. God promises you that he will be a place to hide from storms. He'll be like a stream in the desert. He'll be like the shadow of a huge rock in a dry and thirsty land. In Psalm 91, he promises that he will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings, you will find refuge and his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And in Isaiah 40, he promises those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, could you ask for a better invitation than this? To come to this God who will be with your side, who will shelter you and provide for you from this day and into eternity. So kiss the sun. Enter into a joyful, blessed relationship with God. Give him the first place in your life. And friends, I can promise you that all these things and more, far more than we can ever dream of or ever deserve, will be given unto you. Press down, flowing over. Let's pray. Dear Father, what a, a wonderful God we have, Lord. We thank you that your word assures us that you reign from heaven, and that your will be done. Thank you for having sent your son, Lord, for loving us when we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, but by his grace drawing us under the shelter of his wings. Lord, we thank you for such love, vast as the ocean. I ask, Lord, that anyone here who has not accepted this Saviour, not accepted this invitation, would do it now, because today is the day of grace. And so bless us all. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.